Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. There are two aspects of the Holy Spirit that you and I can enjoy just as much today as the believers did back in the first century. The one aspect is the Holy Spirit as a river within us that satisfies us, that nourishes us, that refreshes us, that feeds us and supplies us. They had that spirit unlocked within them there in the first century, and you and I can have that spirit also today. But there's another aspect, and it's the clothing aspect of the Holy Spirit. In the first century, the Lord would say to his disciples, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. On the one hand, he gave them the Holy Spirit as breath and as bread and as drink, as water. But on the other hand, he says, no, the Holy Spirit is like a mantle that can be draped upon you for power. So think of it. The Holy Spirit is within and the Holy Spirit is upon. Within you, he is like a fountain, like a river that gives you life, that gives you the nature of God, that nourishes you and supplies you. But as a mantle, he empowers you and he authorizes you and he equips you. The drink within, the fountain within, the river within is for your identity in Christ. The mantle is for your working with Christ, walking with Christ, and contributing, participating in the matters of the kingdom of the heavens. They had it in the first century. You and I can also have a fountain within, and we can also have a cloak upon us. And so here's the question. How do I unlock the river of God within me, which is the Holy Spirit? How do I jump into that nourishment, that life and sustenance of the Holy Spirit? And how do I get this cloak of the Holy Spirit, this mantle? Well, I want to answer that for you with the book of Revelation, if I may, just real briefly before we jump into the message. In the apocalypse, there is the vision of Christ all the way from chapter 1 through chapter 22. In many types and many shadows and many metaphors and many symbolisms, Christ is portrayed. In chapter 1, there is Christ and he's portrayed as having uh, many waters, gushing waters, torrents, if you will, coming out of his mouth and out of his voice. So even from within him comes the Holy Spirit. And we know that Christ is the giver of the Holy Spirit. And so he does it through his voice. And, and it's its pleasure, if you will, to give the Holy Spirit to those who would ask him. Now, 
How do you and I get that river out of Christ? How do we get the river of the Spirit to come into us or even to be unlocked from within us? In uh, John chapter 6, Jesus reveals that you and I will have to radically believe in Him. I want to talk to you about that in this message. What does it mean to radically believe in Jesus Christ? Not just as a mantra or a kind of a cultural phenomenon, but to personally radically believe that he is the giver of the fountain of life. Also in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, Christ is portrayed as this warrior on a white horse. Interestingly enough, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. So he has power and he's waging war, particularly against the destroyers of the earth and the climactic final enemy, death. So, so how does Christ overcome? How does he war and defeat his enemies? Well, he, he does it with power. And that cloak represents his power. But notice, the cloak is dipped in blood. And all throughout the Revelation, Christ is pictured as a lamb that was slain. And the lamb and blood always partners together throughout the apocalypse. And why is Christ given the image of a lamb? Why so many references to blood? Well, it has to do with his radical obedience. In Philippians 2, the Lord would humble himself, Paul would write, and he became obedient to the point of death, the death on the cross. So his obedience led him like a lamb to the slaughter, and he stayed the course with the Father's mandate on his life through radical obedience. And as a result, God gave him a name above every other name, and crowned him, according to the book of Revelation, to be king of kings and lord of lords. So why does the Lord have authority? Why does he have power to war and overcome? It's because he's on the foundation of radical obedience. And here it is in a nutshell. If you want to experience the clothing of God, the power of God, then yeah, you have to be under the mantle of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not your power. It's not your might. It's really the, the work of the Lamb of God that gives you the power. There's power in the blood. But if you also want to partner with God, have a testimony of God in this day and age, and be used of God in the building of the kingdom of God and in the overcoming life, then it necessitates radical obedience in your life. If you want a river to be unlocked within you and live under the supply of the Spirit of God, you're going to have to really mean business with your faith in Jesus Christ. Not formulas, not religion, not Judaism, not Christianity, not all the do's and don'ts. You're going to have to really live by faith to drink the Spirit and partake of the Spirit coming out of Christ. And on the other hand, if you want to experience the Spirit of power, the cloak that, that causes you to, to war with Christ in this day and age, then no, it's not an issue of 
your muscle and your strength and your IQ and your talent and your politics and your country and your persuasion and your opinion, etc., etc. It's obedience to the voice of the Father. If he says left, you go left. If he says right, you go right. And if the Lord chooses to give you a certain cup to drink, you drink it. So there you have it. And this is the heart of this message, is to drink the Spirit for nourishment through radical faith and to receive the mantle of the Spirit through radical obedience. Anytime you turn to John's Gospel, you know that it's going to be mystical, it's going to be inward. And what is more of a mystical chapter in the entire Bible than John chapter 6, where Jesus talks about that we should eat him? I mean, crazy town. It's not really that crazy. These are all metaphors for an indwelling spirit. What do you do with food? You take it within you. What do you do with drink? You take it from without, inside of you, and you live by that food and drink. And Jesus is just using a metaphor we're all very familiar with. We have to eat and drink to live. And he says, basically, you have to eat and drink me if you want to live. Verse 56 He who eats my flesh. Yum, yum. And drinks my blood. Oh, glory. Abides in me and I in him. Notice the coalescence of Almighty God in Christ with you when you eat and drink him. But, but I don't know how to eat and drink God. It's an issue of believing. A key word all throughout John's gospel is believing. Because when you actually believe into Christ, that believing is metaphorically translated into eating and drinking. So people ask all day long, how do I eat Christ? You believe in Him. How do I drink Christ? You believe into Him. It's as simple as that. But notice here, when you eat his flesh and you drink his blood, he abides in you. He doesn't visit with you. He moves in. That's why I do not believe in visiting with God. I don't believe in spiritual visiting hours. There is no such concept that we visit with God here and we visit him there and he visits. Lord, we need a visitation. There is no concept here in John's gospel of God visiting us, there's more the concept of abiding. And abiding is not quiet times. There is no concept in John's gospel where Jesus teaches you to have a quiet time. He's talking about an organic oneness where God and you coalesce and you become one in spirit with God. And He just lives in you. He does not visit. You live in Him. You don't visit Him. Now, 
Can you have quiet times and set apart times? Come on, yes. But you live in Him and, and move in Him. And your being is constituted in Him and you are one with Him in spirit. You are one with Him in spirit. This is the concept of the New Testament, especially in John's Gospel. Now, I want to bring your attention to verse 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, even so, he who eats me shall also live because of me. That is a marvelous verse that tells you the secret to the Christian life. The Father sent Christ on a mission. But the Son lived by the Father's supply. The Father was within Him. The Father was nature and life and supply to Him. The Father was His source. And He basically says, I live because of my Father. But then he turns it around in verse 57, and this to me is so marvelous. He says, what happened to me will have to happen to you. You will have to learn to eat me and drink me so that you can live by me. So this then repeats. I have to receive my nature from the Son, the way the Son received His nature from the Father. Now, how did I receive the nature of the Son? How do I live by the Son? He gave me His breath. My two children, in a way, received the human life from Wendy and I. We know God gave them this life. I fully honor God for them. But Wendy and I gave them humanity. And they live now by humanity. And they breathe by the nature of humanity. And the DNA of the human life is within them and will supply them. They came out as a little baby and the DNA will make them grow teeth. The DNA will make them grow hair. The DNA will age them and mature them into full, godly, beautiful young ladies. The DNA will do that. And here, Jesus, in a way, is inviting you and I into the same kind of a rhythm. If humans give human life to one another, the Father gives the divine life. Christ was born by the divine life, and He lived constantly supplied by that life. Even so, he says, you will then have to learn to eat me, receive from me, so that you can live by my DNA. Here's the question. How do I receive the nature of Christ? How do I receive the DNA? If I'm supposed to live by him, what, do I copy him or study him or mimic him? No, it's exactly the way humans live. Humans pass on their DNA. 
And then my children live by the breath of life that in a way we give to them. Of course, God gives it. But it's the same with you. Unless Jesus gives you His Holy Spirit, you do not have the DNA of God in you. You cannot live this Christian life unless you're born again. Unless you receive actually the DNA of God into you. Then he says, the way that I live by my Father's nature, even so, you will have to live by my nature. All of these descriptions of the Holy Spirit then in John's Gospel, when he constantly talks about, I'm going to give you the comforter, I'm going to give you the helper, and he's going to teach you, and he's going to lead you. All of these references talks about how God comes into a person. Paul would go on to say, you cannot be a Christian unless you have the Spirit of Christ within you. You do not belong to God. You're not of His clan, His tribe, or His stock. You can't copy His nature. This whole thing of Christianity where we, in a way, say, what would Jesus do? That betrays, really, our theology. That is, Jesus is the, the model, the role, archetypal model, and then I just copy Him, and then we call that spirituality. I suppose there's things in Jesus we can copy, I suppose. But even Gandhi copied some things in Jesus. But the Gospels does not invite you and I into a copying life. The Gospels is inviting us into a coalescing life where we become one life through eating and drinking, which is believing. So it's not really what would Jesus do. The spiritual life is, is much deeper than that. It's, it's not a life of imitation. It's really a life of indwelling. And the Gospels hit on this and particularly the Gospel of John will constantly speak of an indwelling Lord. In the Old Testament, this indwelling spirit was not granted. Only the clothing spirit was granted to people. And you received, in the Old Testament, this clothing spirit so that you could carry out a mission. There was always a mandate associated with that clothing. You did not just receive the Holy Spirit as a kind of a badge for power. You received the Holy Spirit so that you could partner with God. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never came into a person to be the DNA of God for a transformed new creation reality inside of them. That only happened after Christ died, was buried, and dealt with the issues of sin and death, came up in resurrection, and was ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. Only then, after Christ dealt with sin, could He move the Holy Spirit into a person.
In the Old Testament, we receive the Holy Spirit as though it's a kind of a, a cloak upon us, so to speak. There's the cloak, a cape. And it caused me to work for God, to walk for God, to manifest the power of God. So all throughout the Old Testament, this clothing of the Holy Spirit uh, is just about on every page. And that clothing of the Holy Spirit has never stopped, ladies and gentlemen. Never. Even to this day, we can be clothed with the Holy Spirit. But something happened in the life of Christ that gave us another dimension of the Holy Spirit. And it's this drinking spirit, this bread-filling water spirit. Notice how John's Gospel again will hint at this in chapter 7, verse 37. It says that on that last day, the great day of the feast, uh, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. There's a big context here. But water was brought up to the temple from the pool of Siloam. And there was a big ceremony regarding this water. And it was in a way demonstrating that water came out of a rock way back in the desert years. There's a big story here. But Jesus took advantage of that ceremony. And as that priest had that water from the pool of Siloam and he was pouring it out uh, there at the altar and it was symbolizing God giving water in the desert. Christ stands up and he says, if any one of you are thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me. In a way, he makes himself that rock. And Paul would also in the book of Corinthians explain that Jesus actually was the rock from which they drank in the Old Testament. But here, in a way, he is blaspheming. He calls himself the rock that will give drink to people. Then he says in verse 38, He who believes into me, there's that key word, believe again. John's Gospel has some 90 references or more to the word believing. There's the key to the spiritual life, the key to eating, the key to drinking, the key to your thirst being quenched. It's believing. So he says, if you believe into me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Notice the key word there in verse 38. Out of your inner man. So in a way, we can say, what was Jesus' mission to unlock your inner man? Why? Because all throughout the Old Testament age, even though we were forgiven, our inner man was never unlocked. That river, which of course is the Holy Spirit, you'll see in context now, that river, that Spirit of God within man was never unlocked. So... We could never live in vival. We could never live in vibrancy before God. We just had to keep bringing sacrifices, keep bringing offerings, keep trying a little bit harder. But now he says, no, under my ministry, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And the first part here in the Gospels of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to unlock your inner man so that the fountain flows again so that you are supplied for your thirst from within, not from without. So he says, out of his innermost being, deep within the closet and in the private hidden places and the recesses of your very being, right there, a river is going to begin to flow. And again, it's all predicated on, do you believe? We may have to ask this question then to us here gathered. Since you believed into Jesus, how is that river flowing? The river is not flowing, then we may have to ask, have you really believed? Because the byproduct of believing is a flowing river. As much as the byproduct of being clothed with power is to live and move visibly for God, here we have to ask, since the day that you believed, how is that river flowing? Because that was what the Spirit baptism was, to come into you. Jesus is the life-giving Spirit to unlock something within you. So you no longer have to go to a temple, no longer just have to bring all these sacrifices, but from within you can flow Almighty God. We never had this in the Old Testament. Even though we ached in the Old Testament for intimacy with God, I was never really satisfied in the Old Testament. Psalm 42, as the deer aches for living water, those streams in the desert. The psalmist would say, my soul aches for God. And yet, there was never really the satisfaction in God that they ached for until Christ cleared the sin and death issue. So John speaks mystically into this. Let's keep reading. If you believe, then from your inmost being will flow rivers of living waters. Of course, John's gospel would emphasize the word living and life over and over. And every metaphor will be connected with the word life. I'm the bread of Life, the water of life, rivers of life. I'm the light of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. No matter how Jesus describes himself, he will always connect it with the word life. Why? Because in that word life is the nature of God, the DNA of God. In verse 39, John gives us a little bit of a commentary. Jesus said this concerning the Spirit, whom those who believed into Him were about to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is a unique ministry of Christ that no prophet in the Old Testament could give people. Only Christ could baptize you, that is, unlock you within and fill you 
within. But he first had to finish the work of God. Complete the redemption for you. And after he completed the redemption, he can now, in a way, baptize you in spirit. That is, he can breathe his spirit within you. What is this initial breathing of God, this initial baptism, this initial filling? It's just God's nature coming into you. And the metaphor is it flows, it bubbles up, it's unending, it saturates you. Christians who say, I'm just so dry, I'm just so dry. It's incongruent with the New Testament revelation of filling with the Holy Spirit. Rivers of unending, unceasing, unstoppable power. I mean, uh, water, shall I say. This whole notion that, that we've, we run dry, I tell you, your spirituality is being nurtured from without. And here in John's gospel, Jesus is wanting to drink you and feed you and supply you from within. If you're constantly needing a fix and inspiration from without, you are not yet in the New Testament economy. You may have the lingo and the verbiage, but there's not a river within. Now, when that river within happens to you, then you will constantly be under the feeding and the drinking in the secret place. So in my sketch here, we had in the Old Testament, the Spirit coming upon us. But here in the New Testament, it's as though this well deep within us is dug and unstopped. This blockage between me and God is unstopped and this fountain is rising up. And Jesus spoke to the woman of the well, I'll give you rivers of living waters that will abound into eternity. And it's as though it's going to gush <laughs> out of you. So it's this within spirit that came because of the work of the cross. So on the day of the Lord's resurrection, what spirit did he give them in John chapter 20? He gave them the fountain spirit, the bread spirit, the, the water spirit. Can you follow with me? The feeding and drinking and internal nourishing spirit. But then he says, no, I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Huh? What? Now I breathe and now I need to go wait? I'm sure it was confusing. The Lord didn't always explain himself. So in uh, John 20, he stands in front of the disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He was able to give them this watery fountain bread spirit. Why? Because he had just passed through death and resurrection. And he had paid the price. In a way, he got the keys to open and unlock their inner man and give them the new identity, give them the new DNA and the new nature of God. And so on that day of resurrection, a fountain began to be unlocked within the disciples. But then the Lord says to them very beautifully, hey, I need you to wait for a mantle, for some clothing. Right now, by breathing, they are learning to live by Christ. But they don't know yet how to work for Christ, or shall I say, with Christ. 
So he says, I need you to wait. For this watering spirit, um, this spirit within, all you've got to do is believe. You have to believe. And this spirit is unlocked within you. But then he says to the disciples, I need you to wait. And we know in context that they waited for 10 days. He asks them to wait, to, uh, to tarry, to linger. Do not depart from Jerusalem. But he didn't tell them how long they had to wait for this mystical new experience in the Spirit. It could have been a year, it could have been a month. They did not know. I'm not sure he told them on the day of Pentecost, hey, uh, be alert, there's going to be a little magic show for you. I believe it happened just as it was written down. I need you to wait. Don't go, in, don't go back to the Galilee. So for those last 10 days, they obeyed into the baptism of the Holy Spirit with power. The key word for the Holy Spirit within you is believe. The key word for the Spirit clothing you to move with God and to work with God on this earth. The key word, can you obey the Lord? And we know that they did. So for 10 days, they stayed put. Again, I'm not sure if they knew it was 10 days, but they were willing to obey but as they are listening to the Lord's mandate to stay put, I believe His mandate was shrouded in mystery. Why? So that He could provoke them to radical obedience. Radical obedience. And there they are. And in Acts chapter 2, you see that their obedience, in a way, opened up heaven on earth again. By believing, a fountain was unlocked. By obedience, heaven was opened up. In a way, Christ was born initially of the Spirit. And for 30 years, He stayed put and obeyed. I'm sure at age 12 and 13, like any teenager who knows it all, I think Jesus was probably ready to start you know, doing things for God. And God said, no. And he's like, well, are we going to get going when I'm 15? And the father said, mm, no. And I'm sure every year Jesus interrogated the father. Like, are we ready? Like, you know, teenagers, they're ready for everything, right? And the Lord is like, the father is like, uh, no, just stay put. And I can just imagine Jesus as a teenager that knows how to fix the world's problems. Because all teenagers do, essentially. I'm sure he was just like a racehorse ready to go. But he stayed restrained and constrained. Now he's 20 years old and he's 21. Big birthday. He's like, Father, 
if we're ever about to save this planet, let's do this. And the father's like, mm, no. And I want you to imagine the obedience of 30-something years to just stay under the timing of God. I'm not saying you and I should wait for 30 years. The time frame is not the issue. It's the spirit of submission that's the issue. The spirit of obedience that's the issue. And I'm sure by now Jesus is 25 years old and he's working there in his shop and maybe he's chiseling and he's hammering and he's doing what he's like, God, how much longer? And I'm not sure God told him at age 30 we'll begin. I'm sure it was all a mystery for the Lord himself. And he just lingered and he stayed in step with God. Again, the issue is not time. The issue is the spirit of submission. And I'm sure Jesus is 28 years older and the, the, the years are ticking by. And I'm sure he's ready. And the father said, no, no. I want you to meditate on the Lord's restrained, constrained life. Because that spirit of humility and partnership and not getting ahead of God or getting behind God, that spirit is what He wants from us to get this clothing of the Holy Spirit. So at age 30, He is moved to begin. And instead of just coming out and beginning His ministry with a show, He actually goes and He lays Himself down and He submits to baptism. And then He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And his ministry does not quite start perhaps the way a 20-year-old scripts it to start. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Here he tells them, I want you to wait for an indefinite period of time. And of course, they do. So again, to summarize, to unlock a river within you that will constantly supply you, you have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But for the Spirit to clothe you, to live confidently, openly, a life of witness and testimony and martyrdom, you're going to have to obey into that. And for some of us, it's going to take 60 years to make up our mind, will we ever obey? And for some of you, it could be today. Obedience now could be the gateway to a mantle coming out of the heavens and empowering you. Amen.